the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart, whatever you might be going through, um, if you have any questions, we'll do the best that we can to provide direction through God's Word. Uh, our phone numbers for your live calls are 340-9585. That's the local number, 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free if you're outside the local area by calling 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. The questions come to us that way as well. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, 340-9585. As regular listeners know, yesterday was uh, not a live program. We did a repeat broadcast. And uh, I'd like to spend just a couple minutes, if you will indulge me, getting personal with you and explain uh, what happened, why we were off the air. Uh, Our church family suffered a real tragedy yesterday. Um, Eight-year-old Nehemiah Perez uh, was killed in a car accident. Um, The accident happened a little after 1030 yesterday. Uh, Nehemiah was born here at this church and had as big a heart for Jesus as it's possible for an eight-year-old to have. He was with two, uh, with another member of his family. The kids, two of the kids, go to school here, and uh, Nehemiah and their little one, Nora, were not yet. Uh, she's not yet in school. Uh, were traveling with uh, mom and dad, and they were broadsided on FM 78 by somebody who was speeding through a red light. Uh, They were taken instantly to University Hospital. Um, Three of the four are okay, though they suffered some injuries that they're managing. But Nehemiah um, was fatally injured. Um, Yesterday, during preparation for the program, I got word that he was in surgery and there was hope that he would be okay. Um, but just before we were ready to go on the air, I got word that they had put him on life support and he's not going to survive. One of the things I think that we need to listen to, to think about often as New Testament Christians, I mean, this is a radio program that answers Bible questions. That's an important thing, I think, or I wouldn't do it. But the value of the answers... It's what matters. Nehemiah truly knew Jesus. At eight years old, he truly knew Jesus. His Sunday school Bible teacher was devastated when I met him at the elevator yesterday. 
And he said, this is the kid that he uses to help in his class. He's so in tune to what the Bible says. This is a family that raises all of their children to know and to love Jesus. The Lord provided me a great moment with Nehemiah and his brother Elijah Sunday after church. I give M&Ms out to the kids here. I've been doing it for many, many, many years. And Nehemiah and Elijah are are many times not permitted to have M&Ms by their parents. You know, they just want to monitor the sugar intake, and that's that's perfect. But they sort of walked in my room after service on Sunday. They kind of had these little grins on their face, and I said, your mom said it was okay to have M&Ms today. And Nehemiah said yes and smiled big. And Elijah didn't say much, but he did this big smile on his face, and I gave him big handfuls of M&Ms. We just sat there and talked for a couple of minutes. I didn't know that would be the last time I would ever see Nehemiah alive. held him as an infant, a newborn. I dedicated him. And I know I've said this to you before, but a day that started out like any other turned out to be a day that was unlike any other. Nehemiah is right now being readied to donate his organs. There was no doubt that that is what he would want to do. Mom and Dad couldn't sign the consent forms quickly enough. I even said I really would like, if possible, to meet the little boy or little girl who gets his heart because I want to explain to them what a big heart that really is. But it was just a regular day. And the pain is immense. Tomorrow we will be at school. We canceled school today for the kids. So many are struggling with this. Tomorrow chapel will have all the kids together and explain we'll have counseling available for any and all who need it, including some of the people on our staff. That's the impact that Nehemiah had on so many lives. I cannot adequately explain to you what a heart for Jesus this kid had such a servant, always helpful, serious about the Bible. That's why his Sunday school Bible teacher could use him to help in class. I would love to be able to ask you in the radio audience how many tens of thousands of you there are out there. I ask you to pray for Gail and Victor Perez. Yesterday morning they woke up with the sun and this morning they woke up without one. We can't even begin to adequately communicate the pain and the emptiness, the shock. I would ask you to pray for his oldest sibling, his sister, Evan. For Elijah, his older brother, who was Maya's hero. All he wanted to do was be like Elijah. You can imagine how hard it is for him. And then baby, two-year-old Nora, who was also injured but has been cleared to go home now. To a home that won't be the same for a long time, if ever. We would covet your prayers on their behalf. We would covet your prayers for our church family that's hurting so desperately. These are difficult things to process, to understand. In reality, there's no understanding. Things just happen. These are times when our trust and faith in Jesus is tested like it no other. Here's what I know about the Perez family. They love Jesus with all of their heart. I 
won't presume to say that they're going to be okay. That would be trite. But they will survive and they will love Jesus. And Jesus will comfort them in ways that we can't possibly understand. Our church family will survive. But we're in a lot of pain and we would appreciate your prayers. This was an extraordinary young man. Extraordinary. And it was because he loved Jesus. Moms and dads in the audience. Victor and Gail's children are, are going to be okay. It's hard. But they're going to be okay because this is a mom and a dad who sits with their children and reads and teaches the Bible. Jesus is the center of everything that they do and say. Victor's a tough guy, a Marine who has served our country and exceptionally dangerous places. His mom exudes grace. We just need to know people are praying. I'd also like to include on that prayer list Orville and Diane, Grandma and Grandpa. Really, really hard things. And if you think about it, maybe you could pray for us. Maybe even for the children whose lives will be saved because of Maya's sacrifice. Maya is in the presence of Jesus. I was thinking yesterday at the hospital how old he was in heaven. It was just a few days ago last week that I got a question on this program about how old will we be when we're in heaven. I, I don't know the answer to that. But whatever perfect is, that's how old Maya is. And Jesus extended his arms and Maya jumped onto his lap and I'm sure they had a great laugh. I can see our eight-year-old Maya. That's the only way I can see him, of course, with a big old crown on his head. And Jesus looking and telling him how good he looks with that crown and thanking him for helping Mr. Jonathan at Sunday school for ministering to other kids. He had sort of an ingrained sense of sensitivity to the hurts of other kids. Right now he's looking into the face that shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. Jesus called him by a new name with a voice that sounded like the voice of many rushing waters. Instantly, though Maya had never heard that name, he knew it was him. And I can imagine Maya taking a deep breath and saying, this is better than Pastor Ron ever, ever said it was. So thank you for indulging me. Um, thank you in advance for your prayers. Our family is hurting. Victor and Gail. We have nothing to say except we're so sorry. And your family is here for you. Thank you for your faithfulness. For raising children who know and love Jesus. By the way, to all of you in the audience, that's what a real man is. I told you he was a former Marine. Served in special forces in a lot of dangerous places the most manly thing he's ever done was teach his children that a man loves Jesus. Thank you 
for giving me the time. Let's get to some questions. 340-9585 for your live calls or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question uh, from our mobile app anonymously. Um, let me go to another question. I don't have time for that one today. Um, can one still claim their Christianity if they have compromised what the Bible says about creation? Anonymous answer to um, the question is yes. Um, what you believe about creation uh, isn't uh, considered an essential of the historic Christian faith. Uh, so the answer is yes, there are people that truly are born-again believers who have been fooled by what we call science and the preponderance of evidence. Remember, science is the observation of something and the conclusions you draw. And our Bible says that there's only one who observed creation. That was Jesus who was the creator. And Jesus will be happy to tell them when they get to heaven that they're wrong. But they will be in heaven. So yes, they can still claim to be a Christian. Here's what they can't do, though. They can't have a fruitful life in Christ. They can't understand the Word in a, in a, in a way that would enable the Word to empower their day-to-day -day lives. They walk by sight rather than by faith, and the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews says that you have to believe that God is and that he created all things, everything. If you don't believe that, you're walking in the flesh instead of the spirit. Again, they're saved, but the fruitfulness that God intends by the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be missing. That's as straightforward, anonymous as I can put it. So I hope that helps a little bit. Let me just say one other thing to all of you. If you don't believe the Genesis account of creation, if you don't read it literally, if you throw it away, you have to understand that every major doctrine of the New Testament church falls apart. Not some of them. Every single one. I've had people say to me, well, if I believe in evolution, if I believe in a Big Bang Theory, well, I still believe in Jesus and what he did. But you see, if you believe in anything other than God is the creator, and in six literal days he created everything, well, then you don't understand the depth of his gift to mankind that saves. You don't understand atonement. You don't understand that Jesus loved you so much he couldn't bear to see you suffer and be ashamed. So he took the suffering and he took your shame. You don't understand man's inherent evil. That there's nothing good in us, in our flesh. If you don't believe the literal account of Genesis... then you don't really understand that you need to be saved from yourself, from sin. So those are very important things, Anonymous, and I hope and pray that your friend or the person you're talking about, whoever it might be, will prayerfully consider what the Bible says. One other thing, I know I said that would be my last thing, but here's one other thing. As believers, if we're going to produce fruit in our life, we have to make a decision that the Bible really is God's Word. That the Bible really is God's Word. If it is not, then we have nothing from God. We're on our own. If it is, we've got to believe it by faith. That doesn't mean there's no evidence. But we have to make a choice in this world who we believe. Do we believe what is called science? A science that begins with the proposition that there is no God. Or do we believe Jesus? 
and the choice is that cut and dried, that black and white. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Drew, actually two of them. Good to hear from you again, Drew. Uh, He says, I've often wondered why God didn't create Eve at the same time he created Adam. The Bible says in Genesis 2.20 that no suitable helper was found. That passage seems to say that Adam was looking for a helper and a mate. Think about it. When he created the animals, they were created male and female at the same time, right? Since God knows everything, he already knew that Adam would look for a helper. So why not create Eve at the same time? You think the reason he delayed was because Adam would have been distracted with Eve around and not been able to name all the animals? Well, I can answer the last part of that question very simply. Uh, That's not the reason. Um, What we don't understand about Adam's creation, he was born in a perfect creation. And he was born in and with the glory of God. So he didn't think about things like you and I think about things. In fact, this is what's so important about the question that you asked, Drew. The reason that God created Adam first was because Adam, born into perfection, had no understanding that he needed anything at all. I mean, he had God, he had a perfect creation. The Bible indicates that he and Jesus walked in the cool of the garden together before the fall. He didn't know he had a need for anything. He didn't know he was lacking anything. And it was God and God's goodness that made Adam aware of something that God already knew. It's not good for man to be alone. So he put the animals in front of Adam and created a desire for a mate. Now, we don't know how many animals walked by, but we know, as you indicated, Drew, that they walked by two by two, male and female, and Adam named them. At some point in that process, Adam, who had to be brilliant, by the way, he came to the conclusion, hey, everybody has somebody but me. And that's when God put him into a sleep. And when Adam was asleep, God made Eve out of Adam. They were one flesh. That's why God didn't make Eve out of the dust. That's why Eve came out of Adam's side. And I always imagine that moment when he woke up out of that sleep and saw her and thought, my goodness. And he knew that God was good. He knew that God loved him and that God would provide above and beyond. That was probably the most grateful day in the history of our planet. And God provided the gift. So, Drew, I'll get to your second question on the other side of the break. But understand what the Bible's telling us. When in fact a story is given to us, he's not asking for our opinion, he's certainly not asking for us to evaluate it from our human perspective, our limited understanding. But instead, look for the goodness of God in the statement. And the goodness of God here was very simple. God knew it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and Adam didn't know it, so God had to show him. And there's a pattern for marriage forever. Two became one. Well, that had to begin with the first marriage, where one came out of the other. So I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is, well, Drew, let me take your second question. I think I've got time for it. Uh, Your second question, you say, is on atonement. There are several theories on why Jesus had to die on the cross. Can you explain what the Bible says, which will eliminate the word theory, from the debate? Uh, That's a simple one, Drew. The Bible says that without the uh, shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sin is the only offer, I mean, blood rather, death, is the only acceptable sacrifice. So he paid the price. The, 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 the punishment that we deserved, Isaiah says, the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. A perfect man had to die. Blood and bulls and goats were told, and 
the New Testament isn't satisfactory. So a perfect man, a sinless man, had to die, and he would then become an acceptable sacrifice. But it couldn't be a near death. It couldn't be, okay, I'm going to wipe out sin and let him start over. That's the Old Testament concept of atonement. The sins were covered over from year to year. But he had to take away our sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 succinctly says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus gave up his spirit. He paid for our sins. It is finished. The Greek word is to tell us die. The debt is paid. And that's what the atonement is all about. If our sins weren't paid for, if our sins weren't punished, then there is no heaven for us. That's what the, the atonement did. That's the value. Drew, thanks. Good to hear from you again. We'd love your live calls and questions. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. We'd love your live calls. I know I started the program today with some really sad stuff, but Jesus is the answer for those who are hurting. He's the answer for you as well. 340-9585 for your live calls. 340-9585. Here is a question from Jeremy. He says, Can I bind the devil in Jesus' name so he will leave me alone? Jeremy, no. Stop watching TBN. Stop watching this nonsense on what we laughingly called Christian television. You cannot bind the devil. What you can do is be with Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can bind the devil. You know, the, the enemy, and I say this on this program a lot because I get similar questions, the enemy is infinitely more powerful than we are. But Jesus is infinitely more powerful than the devil is. I think sometimes we have this mistaken notion that the the devil and Jesus are sort of uh, spiritual counterparts. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus created the devil when he was Lucifer and has complete ownership. The devil's job is to bug you. His job is to destroy you. He is without mercy, and Jeremy, he's never going to leave you alone. So what you can do is be so close to Jesus that Jesus will take care of the devil for you. I don't want to spend one minute of my day talking to the devil, even if, say, I bind you in the name of Jesus. By the way, there's nothing about the name in and of itself. When we talk about approaching God in Jesus' name or dealing with spiritual warfare in Jesus' name. It means that we're walking with Jesus. It means that we're doing it in what a name represents. In a Jewish culture, uh, kids' names had meanings. Jesus said, you haven't asked the Father for anything in my name until now, but now you can ask the Father in my name. Why? Because Jesus went there to prepare a place for us. So Jesus is the way to fight spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the, the, the weapons of warfare, spiritual warfare. However, Jesus is our shelter. He's the place that we can run, the place that we can hide. And we get so caught up in the symbolism that Paul was using. We start picturing a real helmet, a real shield, and a real sword, and a real belt and the other parts of the warfare weaponry. But the answer is to be with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, you don't want to talk to 
the devil. You don't want to talk to anybody else. You want to talk to him. In Jude, the only chapter, verse 9, it says, even Michael, even Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. And, and, and Michael is the counterpart to Lucifer, to the devil. Michael's the one who fights him. Michael's the one who advances God's cause in the spiritual realms. But you see, Michael has a healthy respect for his power. So Michael says the Lord rebuke you. Now, you can't say the Lord rebuke you, Jeremy, if you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not walking in the Spirit. I think sometimes we want to just live our lives any way we can and just show out, throw out Jesus' name like it's a lucky rabbit's foot or something. And we, why didn't the devil go? James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But too many of us, we forget the resisting part and we just give in. Well, you know, I tried to withstand the temptation, but I just couldn't. No, if you're with Jesus, you can. So please spend way more time in your Bible than you do watching Christian television. I'll be praying for you, Jeremy. Here is a question from Patrick, a timely one. He says, with Good Friday coming soon, it seems strange that we call it good when Jesus was murdered. What am I missing? Uh, Patrick, I don't think you're missing anything. Um, you know, names of these days are given by, by people. The Bible never says it's Good Friday. It's, it's a tragic Friday. It's the most tragic day in the history of our world. Jesus was crucified. Jesus, who was perfect, was murdered. There's nothing good about that. Now, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So truthfully, it turns out good because Jesus got what he wanted. He wanted you and he wanted me. But there's nothing good about it. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem days before what we call Good Friday, you remember, Patrick, that they all called that, they also called that Triumphal Entry Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. Well, there was nothing triumphant about that entry at all. It sounded like it was a victory. It sounded like things were well. I imagine the disciples just watching the crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm certain. The disciples looked at each other and thought, hey, this is turning out better than we thought. Jesus must be wrong. No, he wasn't wrong at all. He knew the hearts of men. That's why repeatedly we're told he committed himself to no man. Why? Because he knew what was in their heart. So, Patrick, you seem to get it completely. By the way, and I can tell everybody in the audience this, on Good Friday, um, the last Friday of March... Uh, we have a very special Good Friday service here at 7 o'clock. Uh, people need to get here really, really early because we run out of space early. We have a, a cross that's at the front of the sanctuary and people are in line to... We give them a piece of paper and a pen and they write down whatever it is that they need to put at the foot of the cross, sins, problems, whatever it is. And they walk up, and while the worship is going on, they nail those things to the cross. Throughout the entire worship time, you'll hear the pounding of nails into the cross as we put those pieces of paper. Then we take that cross with us to Judson High School, the Performing Arts Center, for our Easter services with all of those things nailed on there, those sins, those things that bind us, those things that are destroying us. And on Sunday, we put a wreath or a scarf, a victory over it, because that's what Good Friday accomplished. Victory over death. So, Patrick, great question. Um, gives me the opportunity to remind you again that on uh, Sunday, April 1st this year, uh, that's Easter Sunday. We will be having two services at 8.30, and they will be communion services. 
at 8.30 and 10.45 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Um, you'll love it. It'll be a great, great program. Uh, I'll be, Lord willing, bringing the Word of God. Uh, people always get saved. So invite people. Invite unsaved neighbors or friends or family members. Uh, invite them. We don't pass an offering. There's not going to be a word said about money. Um, other than our announcer will say that there are offering boxes located uh, throughout the, the the sanctuary if you want to give, but we don't even want guests to give. Uh, we don't certainly don't want money from unbelievers. We're not here for guilt offerings. We we want God's people to provide, and they always do. But the most important thing to remember is that that is the day that declares victory over death. And we invite you to come and celebrate it with us. You will have a great time. You'll meet some of the greatest people ever. And I don't think this matters to anybody in the audience, but uh, it's the only time during the year you'll see me preaching in a suit. <laughs> Just Easter. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Uh Here is a follow-up to our question from Drew about why uh, Adam um, and Eve weren't created at the same time. This is from our mobile app from Nancy. Uh, another reason, she says with a question mark, since Eve was not created at the same time as Adam, would it be to establish the direct point that Adam be established as the head of the family? Um, Nancy, I don't think so. And, and the only reason I don't think so is because they were born into glory. They were born as helpers to one another. Remember, in an unfallen world, the, the only thing that we know uh, about the rules that we have, you know, uh, women uh, having difficult births rather than easy births, um, people dying. Uh, all of that is a result of the fall. Well, so too is the headship of man over his wife and the headship of man in the church. Those are both things that are a result of the fall. Just the fall. So, in a perfect world, and we have no way of knowing how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden, in perfect harmony and perfect fellowship with God. We don't know. It could have been days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years, it could be decades. We don't know. But in a perfect creation, there was no competition. There was no battling for position in the marriage. It was just them and Jesus walking in the cool of the garden. So as a result of the fall, Male headship was established. I always tell ladies, uh, Paul used to say, is it okay if I tell ladies that I don't like submitting to your leadership? And and she loves me, and, and I understand what she's saying. Every bit of our flesh wants to be in control. And that's what God said. Your desire will be for your husband. That sounds good, but what it really means in Hebrew is that your desire will be to master him, to rule over him but he will rule over you. That's the result of the curse, the fall of man. Nancy, thank you for the question. Here is a question from Andy. Interesting. Did Jesus have a last name? Um, no. <laughs> uh, um, Jesus Christ is his title. It's not his last name. And in the ancient world, um, the last names are what we would call last names. It's still this way in some parts of the world, in, in the East especially. Um, what we would call the last name is really more identification. Jesus would have been called, growing up, Jesus bar Joseph. That means Jesus, son of Joseph. And that's how they identified families. Rather than having a family name, they identified them by the name of the Father. So Jesus would be the son of Joseph. Um, that would be how he was um, understood. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much. 340-9585. Here's a question from Robert from our mobile app. Uh, so sorry for your loss. Um, it makes one wonder how great, wonderful God could take someone so young and gifted away from this fallen world. Uh, what he could have done in hundreds of lives. Robert, I appreciate... Um, I, I, I appreciate your sympathy. I mean, let me put it that way. Um, here's what I want us to think about as believers. 
God didn't take Nehemiah away. Um, a driver in a hurry took Nehemiah away. Every day, people in this world die without reason, without explanation. People are murdered. Every day in a fallen world, we lose people. And while we wonder what he could have done in hundreds of lives had he lived a little bit longer. There's really no value in even posing the question because he didn't live longer. I can tell you that Nehemiah touched hundreds of lives, just the kind of boy that he was. Watching him grow was such a joy. I met somebody who said, well, why did he have to go so young? I want you to think about something for a moment. Nehemiah has been spared from so much pain and ugliness in this world. And all I know is that while from our perspective his death is premature, we also remember that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And God knew that yesterday was Nehemiah's last day, at least on this earth. He knew the pain and the exposure to sin that he would not be exposed to. He knew that the moment Nehemiah looked into his eyes, Nehemiah was perfect in exactly the place he needed to be. And unless we take a heavenly perspective, again, I'm not indicating that we shouldn't grieve. But the grieving is for us. When I first spoke with Victor, Maya's dad yesterday, all he could talk about was, oh, Maya's running and jumping and laughing with Jesus now. And God doesn't need any human to touch hundreds of lives. Nehemiah will have a long-lasting impact on our church body, Robert. So we have suffered a great loss, and we are really, really sad. But the sadness is ours, not Maya's, not Jesus's. And honestly, if we don't remember that, if we don't exercise our faith daily to remember that in the middle of our pain, We'll all be driven crazy with with grief, with sorrow. So we grieve, Paul says, but we don't grieve like others. I also mentioned that Nehemiah is donating organs. So he may not be through impacting a bunch of lives, people that we don't even know. I tell you, with that heart and another young man or young woman, there's no telling how many people might get saved. <laughs> so, Robert, thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Rachel. She says, Jesus asked his father to forgive those who killed him. He said they didn't know what they were doing, but it seems like they not only knew, this was what they wanted to happen. Can I explain? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, when Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he was crying out, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was evangelizing. With the, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting a widely accepted messianic psalm. In other words, he might as well have shouted from that cross, I'm the one, I'm the Christ. So he was moving on people's hearts even in the middle of his agony. But imagine the impact of saying out loud, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now I'm going to give you just two examples, Rachel. The first, of course, is the thief on the cross 
that, that what we would say got saved. He heard everything that the people were accusing Jesus of. He heard the insults. He saw the beating that Jesus took. He was so close to him that he could hear Jesus speaking, even though Jesus would barely be able to get any volume at all because of the pain, the agony, and the lack of oxygen. He was that close. Now, we know there were two thieves. They both had the same chance. They heard the same things and saw the same things. But only one was moved. Bible says he endured the agony of the cross for the joy set before him. Well, that one repentant thief was part of that joy. I'll give you another example. How about a man named Saul of Tarsus? When he was ordering the death of Stephen, as angry as he was, as vicious as he was, What do you think he thought about when he heard Stephen say, Father, lay not this sin to their charge or to their account, literally. We know that when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? Now, what that means is that Saul of Tarsus was running from Jesus as he was persecuting Christians. He was running away from something that he knew was true. Why would that bother him? Because there was no doubt there was a young Pharisee at Calvary that day Jesus died. And when he would have heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he would have been so angry, so infuriated. That would be when his mission to oppose and to destroy God's church began. And now, as he gives permission for Stephen to die, to be stoned, he hears Stephen say the same thing at that moment. The conflict in his heart and his mind had to be overwhelming. Now, we know he got angrier, but the source of his anger was his running away from God, trying to push back against what instinctively he knew was true. And it took Jesus apprehending him on the road to Damascus to change all that. So, Rachel, they knew what they were doing. They planned it. Um, But by and large, the people didn't know. They were just going with the crowd. And isn't it Jesus' nature, his perfect nature, to cry out for mercy when the rest of the world would have cried out for vengeance or for forgiveness? We got four minutes. I thought I had longer. I'm talking too much. Here's an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, how can I get past my guilt about committing adultery? Um, well, first you've got to believe that Jesus' death was sufficient. You know, you can do guilt, but the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've got to decide whether or not you believe it. You know, one of the keys to me walking with the Lord very early in my Christian life was to understand that if, if and I, I think logically, I know a lot of people don't, but if God forgave me of all the sins I would ever commit on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago, what value is there in doing guilt? Now, I hate my sin. I hate it. But I hate it so much I don't want to do it again. And if I'm going to walk with Jesus full of the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't walk that way with guilt weighing me down. So, Anonymous, you've got to believe what he said, that he forgives you. Now, let me do something practical. You want to get past your guilt about committing adultery? Then be the best husband or wife you can be. I don't know if you're a man or a woman. But then if you're a man, love your wife the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. If you're a woman, then submit to your husband's leadership. And be the wife who loves Jesus. And then by the love that he's poured out into our hearts, according to Romans 5, 5, 
then and only then can we love others. You can be the best husband, the best dad, the best wife, the best mother from this day forward. And isn't what Paul told us? One thing I do, one thing, forgetting what's behind, I press on. And isn't it the one thing that we should all do? Press on. When you are feeling guilty, you understand it's an enemy who's done it. And when you're feeling extra guilty, he's pouring on the heat. That's when you run to Jesus. You run to Jesus with a grateful heart, thanking him that he's removed all guilt, that your sins are as far from you as east is from west. I know our flesh likes to feel guilty. And the minute we do, the enemy's there to try to use that guilt to destroy us. But instead, we walk by faith. And you can say, Jesus, I don't feel like I'm forgiven. Or I don't even feel like I should be forgiven. But here's what I know for sure. I am forgiven. And I'm never going to let that go. You see, we get to choose what we believe and how we believe it. So don't let guilt destroy your walk. We're about the end of the program, but one one final thing. If you walk with guilt, you're going to have a lot more to feel guilty about instead of walking in the freedom of the Lord. Again, thanks for your indulgence today. As I shared my heart about Nehemiah, please keep the Perez family in your prayers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.